Well, good morning, Impact. Today we're going to talk about the final R in our three R's and our vision and our mission. And I hope that you have picked up on this by now. They're not new. They're not something that we came up with. We didn't say, hey, let's come up with something savvy and new and tricky and, and, and really marketable. I mean, it's the age-old uh, deal that's been in, in God's Word all the time. It's really from the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Uh, and hopefully you're seeing that by now. It really come to fruition. But this doesn't close out the series. That will close out next week uh, with a special time together. Now, next week you're going to hear from a lot of the ministry leaders and the leadership team and so forth. In fact, if any of them are in there, any of the leadership team that's here, would you stand up? Some of them are still working behind the scenes. We got one working. We got two in the back. See them there? Their leadership team and back row Baptists got Tim, Brad, Kendall, Pete. All right, so four out of the five are here. They're going to be coming up and and sharing their own hearts uh, about what the three R's mean to them. Um, Scott Tyson's going to be emceeing that. Not sure Scott knew that, but he knows now, right? So it's uh, it's a time to hear, uh, like you're going to a little bit today, beyond just me. Sometimes when a pastor is saying everything, you know, people can sit there and go, that's great, that's the pastor. Uh, You know, he's supposed to know that stuff, but it's got to go beyond me if it's going to turn into a movement. Well, listen, gang, there's two types of people in the world, those who love school and those who hate it. Which are you? Raise your hand if you love school. You're like a professional student. Yeah, give me more. Wow, I see my son down there. That's news to me. Wow, that's, that's scary. He loves school. Raise your hand if you hate it or hate it. Thank you. That's, that's kind of my group. Some of the parents are going, you know, that's, we're going to talk when we get home. That's it. You don't hate school. Well, and by the way, if you are married, let me see the married folks. Where are you? Yeah, if you're married and you love school, you're married to someone who hates it, most likely. Because <laughs> opposites attract. But it's pretty important. Here's why I, here's why I even mentioned that. Uh, because we've learned to tailor things a bit these days. I mean, if you, if you don't like school, there, there's some ways, creative ways to get around it. You can do some things online. Uh, if you're a, a kid and you come home and you don't like school, and there's, like, there's actually some reasons to not like it today. There's some things going on in schools, uh, you know, really bashing the Bible and Christianity and all. Well, you, you could be homeschooled, so there's ways around it. But the bottom line is this whole scholastic learning, tutoring, schooling type thing, you're not going to get out of it. You're not going to get out of it. One way shape, form, or another, you are going to go through schooling from when you are little and probably for the rest of your life, like it or not. So what I always say is the faster you learn, the faster you can move on to the things that you really want to do, the things that God really caused you or called you to do. Now, this isn't new. If you brought your Bibles or since you brought your Bibles, we're going to be really taking a fast tour today. Find Galatians in the New Testament and uh, chapter 3, we're going to be there in just a moment. But this is really interesting. It was like this for the Israelites. It was like this in the entire Old Testament for God's people. Did you know they were basically born into school and died still in school? Uh, and where you can see this is they, they were actually under God's law in every facet of life, in school from birth to the grave. And much like today, some liked it and, and honestly some didn't. And the ones that didn't or the ones that defied or the ones that ignored it, they had kind of a tough life. They really did. I mean, it was one of those things, you're going to go through this anyway, it's going to happen, so you might as well like it. So anyway, Galatians 3, to 24, let me tell you what, is, what Paul said in the New Testament about how they were under the law here. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So you might say, well, I choose to do what I want. No, you, you can't help it. Before Jesus, you, you're, you're a prisoner of sin. It's not that you want, you have to. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. You want to break free from sin, you got to put your trust in Christ. That's it. It's the only option. 
Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, they were talking about the Old Testament, we were placed under guard by the law. So Paul's talking to fellow Jews, and he's actually talking to some Gentiles. He said, here's how it was. Before Jesus came along, we just had to be under the schoolmaster, the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian. Some of your Bibles say our schoolmaster until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. So the law is everybody's guardian, everybody's nanny, everybody's little NSA, you know, spying on you and your phone calls and your phone, your uh, iPhone and, and looking in on your computer and everything. It's a schoolmaster. Think of it this way. When you go to school, I don't even know if they do, everything's computerized, everything's iPadded now today. But if you go to school, the law is sort of like the school master with the red ink pen when you take a test and, and they circle all the wrong answers. And I mean, they just point them out or a big X there and they say, here's the things where you got them wrong. Here's the things you still need to get right if you want to do good on this test. So it kind of, the schoolmaster's there not so much to cheer you on as much. It's kind of sad. It's more there to point out how you're failing. It's kind of, here's why you don't add up. Here's why you can't be, you know, like God just yet. Here's where you're failing. It just reminds you that you're a sinner, pretty much. But when Christ came, the guardian wasn't necessary anymore. So, law is everybody's guardian, everybody's schoolmaster, marking with a red pen. But look at verse 24 again. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So something changed from Old Testament to New Testament. It wasn't God, because God does not change. And, and by the way, a lot of people like to say, well, I know what it was. It was the law was thrown out. Man, that was no good. It was kicked out into the garbage, and Jesus came to abolish the law. Problem is, the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Jesus never said, I came to abolish the law. In fact, he actually said, I did not come to abolish the law. Did you know that? He said, I came to fulfill the law. So he didn't say, throw out your Old Testament, so I, I've rethought it. And my father has, we're going to try a different approach. No, the Old Testament was, just came up short. It couldn't go any further because Jesus is perfect. And when he came, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it. Now the nanny's gone. Now the schoolmaster's gone. You don't need it anymore. No more nanny. Now you're being raised by a loving parent. Look, nannies are good. I'm not going to ding on nannies. Just, you know, if I decide to, to, uh, to say something bad anyway about anybody, that's the week they attend. The National Nannies Convention would be this week at this church if I decided to do that. That's just my life, you know. I married a Murphy. My wife's maiden name is Murphy. Murphy's Law, that's how it works. Uh, So, but listen, you're not under a guardian anymore to bring you up. A guardian's going to bring you up with rules, and and because they don't necessarily, I mean, I've seen some nannies and guardians that really learn to love the children, but not necessarily. They, They got a job to do. So they're going to bring you up, and they're going to scold you, and they're going to, they're going to discipline you. They're going to say, you're out of line, and here's the boundaries, and here's the, the borders and all, and here's what you need to do so that one day you'll grow up and be a productive member of society. But a parent's different. A parent doesn't just get you ready for a productive life. They, they raise you up in a loving and contributing part of, of the family. Everybody belongs, who will one day learn to help others from the heart rather than just as a way of towing the line and a way of fitting in. So it's different. In that way, a parent it fulfills what a guardian or a nanny never could. I got three diplomas sitting on a shelf in my office. I haven't put them up on the, uh, on the wall yet. And, uh, and I don't say I have three diplomas or brag or anything. I don't really know what to do with them. They, they, they're just pieces of paper in a frame. And I'll get around to it. Um, I'm not much of a... Uh, Tim the tool man guy. Well, actually, I am like that because he messed things up all the time. 
And I'm kind of like that, so I can't even hang a picture without it being crooked. So they sit. And every now and then I walk by them. I've got a Bible Institute one, a college undergrad one, and a seminary one. And I worked hard for those pieces of paper, like I'm sure those of you that went to college did. They represent about nine years of schooling. The last one represents also four years of Hebrew, learning to Greek Hebrew, I mean, sorry, Greek Hebrew, four years of Hebrew and four years of Greek, where we had to translate books of the Bible from Hebrew to English and from Greek to English. And so there's a lot of stuff, a lot of work in there. And they're sitting, like I said, on bookshelf. Every now and then I, I, I glance at them with a full intention of getting someone else to hang them for me straight. And, and I kind of have a, a nostalgic, I guess, feeling about them. They represent a lot of years. But even more, they represent transitions in my life. That's what they're supposed to be. It's what they should be in your life. Like, for instance, from the classroom to the application in life. From what I put in my head to working it out in my life. Uh, from college with a business degree, I went to work for a Fortune 500 company in Los Angeles and started trying to apply some of the stuff that I learned in college. Uh, after Word of Life Bible Institute, I worked as an area director for Young Life, uh, which is a, uh, an outreach to, to lost, to unsaved um, kids that just don't go to church, have nothing to do with church. Uh, then, as I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, after that, I, I planted churches, and I got in ministry that way. So, those are the only things, gang, that make those degrees worth anything. Those are the only things that make those degrees. Otherwise, have you ever seen a professional student? You ever met a professional student? And by me just saying that, I'm about to rag on professional students. This will probably be National Professional Students Day at Impact Church, and they are all here. I've, I've got 15 degrees. How do, well, it's the people that just keep getting degrees because almost like they want to keep filling up their head, but they don't want to go out and live it out. They're, they're afraid. So I just keep going back to school for another degree. I mean, that's like putting a sponge in the sink, turning on the water and getting it wet, but just leaving it there. And so the water just keeps saturating. This, and when that sponge is no good. After a while, it gets filled with water. I can't take any more in. How do you know that, Pastor? I have cleaned things. And so you squeeze it out, right? And you can use the, the, the um, sponge to clean things. But when you put it back on, it's getting wet. If you just leave it there, it's no good. It can only take in a certain amount. And until it's squeezed out, it's useless. We are the same way. We can only really take in a certain amount at different phases of our Christianity. And then it's got to be squeezed out in the culture in which we live. Otherwise, it's useless. Otherwise, for me, I would have just, if I didn't use them, been a professional student, really. And I think that's interesting. Apparently, I'm alone in that. But I think... That's interesting. It's fascinating. Because most of us seem to understand that in life, we get ready for things. I mean, that there's, there's a lot of things in life that are preparation. And there's a lot of things in life that are execution. They're both there. Even as infants, when we spend a brief time crawling, uh, most infants seem to figure out on their own. They don't go to a class at one or two years old and say, this is from crawling to walking. We're going to be teaching this for about six months. I want you to pay attention. Oops, you'll have to learn to read. No, no. I mean, they just, you ever seen, they just start pulling themselves up on coffee tables and all, and then they'll give it a try and they fall over and it's fun to watch them fall over. Weebles wobble, but they do fall down. And then they get up and start walking and falling down and then running. They just, they just progress. It's a, it's a natural thing. It's rare to see a two or three-year-old sit down with mom and dad to discuss the hesitation with the whole thing of walking. Mom, dad, uh, I need to talk to you. Thank you for teaching me to talk so well at one and a half. Uh, I've decided to wait another year before pulling myself upright into a standing position 
and walking. And I realize this is tough for you, Mom, Dad. I I know this is going to be somewhat painful to hear. Uh, But it's really best for me. See, I'm not ready to walk yet. I need more coaching in crawling. I'd like to keep studying the art of crawling. And since I can't read yet, this could take actually five, six, seven years. I hope you're okay with that. Also, as I've looked at crawling and I've observed some of my little two- and three-year-old friends that are walking, I believe that crawling is a better mode of transportation. So I'm going to stick with that for a couple of more years. Can you pick me up and take me to bed? I've never seen that. I don't think I'm ever going to see that. They just know. They just walk, people. But in the Christian life, we see this comical thing, this hesitation all the time. In fact, in American evangelicalism, man, we see it all the time. They walk physically. That's a logical progression after experiencing a certain amount of crawling, and it should be. If they didn't, wouldn't everybody look at that kid if they were, say, four, five, six years old and still crawling? I mean, before that even... I mean, let's just be honest. Wouldn't you look at that kid and whisper? I mean, when you nudge somebody, if they look perfectly healthy, and they are perfectly healthy, wouldn't you go, uh, time, time to... Somebody needs to get them up. I didn't walk till I was 18 months old. I've heard that's a sign of a genius. That's what I've heard. But, but I was 18 months old. And you know why I finally walked? My dad jerked me up by the arm and just whacked me. I mean, just spanked me because I would. And I walked. I took off and I walked. That was it. So I somewhat don't fit the pattern a little bit. But we would think that something's wrong. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 in the New Living Translation says, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child. That makes sense. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Obviously, God's word teaches that we need to move on to maturity. That's what's normal. That's what's logical. In fact, when we don't, something's clearly wrong. And it ought to be alarming. But it's not in American evangelicalism. It's just normal. Why aren't you growing up? I've opted for the baby plan. I didn't know there was one. Show me that scripture. I haven't found it yet. I'm sure it's in there. I haven't found it, I think, because I never read the Bible. And I haven't heard from the Lord from it because I don't read the Bible. And I don't talk to him because I don't pray. I'm on the baby plan. I'm pretty sure it's all right. I am saved. I did that. I walked an aisle somewhere. I raised a hand, but that's it. That was the last for me. I don't want anything to do with it until I get to heaven. I'll deal with it then. I don't see that option in there. In fact, something's wrong when you don't grow. Paul, I believe, wrote Hebrews. And Hebrews 5.12 says in the New Living again, you have been believers. He's looking at this group of believers. There's been Christians now for a pretty good stretch of time, 10, 20 years. And he says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be actually teaching other people. Instead, you need someone to teach you. And not just teach you, but go way back to the basic things about God's word. Something's wrong. You're like babies who need milk, who cannot eat solid food. So that's not hard to understand what Paul's saying there, is it? And Paul's saying, as I watch you, what, what happened? Hey, something went wrong. Why aren't, why aren't you progressing? You should not only be eating meat of the word and really digging deeper, but you should be far ready and far... Uh, you should have been raised up by now enough to start a class, to disciple others, to mentor people. To re- What's wrong? You're, man, I'm going to go get a bottle and some baby formula, and I think that's about all you can handle. So I think most in life understand that we need to progress from raising and refining to actual application in our life. You graduate high school, you get a diploma, you're either going to go to college or you're going to go to work. It's one or the other. There is a progression. If you go to college and get a degree, the same two choices are presented at the end of that time. Now you're going to work or you're going to go get a master's or, or maybe a doctor. But eventually the degrees run out at some point and you go to work. You apply everything that you've been told. Friends, 
The point is you graduate. The point is you graduate eventually. And those who don't end up, like I said, as professional students living in their parents' basement at 40 years of age. And that's awkward and stunted and off base. And when we look at it, everybody kind of feels a little funny talking about, so what are you doing? Well, I live here. Really? How old are you? 40? How long have you been living here? My whole life. What is here? I've got a whole apartment set up in my parents' basement. I don't want to go out there. The world is scary. What do you do? I play video games. I'm thinking of making video games. I mean, you ever met that person? What do you talk about? It's awkward, isn't it? Because you know something went wrong and you think you need to grow up. You didn't grow up. Something backfired. An athlete trains to compete. A scholar studies to gain employment. Christ followers are saved, write this down, to serve. You're saved to serve. Otherwise, when you're saved, God would just beam you right up to heaven. If you were saved to be saved, and that's it, then you'd already be in heaven. He leaves you here. You have graduated. You have been rescued. Now, at least you can start serving by telling your story. By being a witness. You were raised to be released to the front lines. And gang, that's the third R. Release. So in our church, we are first rescued, then we are raised up, and that's lifelong. And then we are released to serve it out. We graduate to grow, and we grow to get in the game. For the brand new believer, you've graduated in the most important way. That's actually sort of like the crawling thing. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'm a brand new believer. I've I've only been saved like three or four years. Well, that's not a brand new believer anymore. That's actually somebody who should have been growing pretty good and ought to be maybe starting to teach and so forth. A brand new believer to me, and in the Bible we'll see in just a moment, is five minutes. Now, maybe up to six, seven, eight months in a year or two, but after that, you should graduate. In fact, I have seen, and there are examples in the Bible, and I've seen it in life, where people are saved, and within minutes, they are already witnessing. They are already telling people about Jesus. Minutes of being rescued. So you can go out. There's a first type of graduation right away. The moment you receive Christ, you confess your sins and ask him in your heart. You can be a witness. Now, sadly, too many Christians in American evangelicalism, they either spend their lives as professional students of the word, you know, just, just like that sponge, just pour it on. I'm saturated, but keep it coming and they get spiritually bloated. Or they become spiritual thrill seekers looking for emotional spiritual highs. So they'll maybe go to something or hear that something miraculous is happening over here in this state or this part of the world and they'll run to that and get fired up and they'll get a, a great uh, quiver in their liver. Where's the liver at? I'm not sure. But the great quiver in their liver and then they'll go find it somewhere else and then Christianity for them, it becomes very scary because if they can't match that, they'll walk away. You ever seen that? Like a real spiritual high. And then they'll go and they'll get another one. Then they'll go and it's a little bit lower. And they'll go, something's wrong. I've got to find this again. So they either are chasing spiritual highs all over the place. Or they just get knowledge in their head and it never transfers 18 inches to their heart. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are not biblical. Too few of us who have been rescued by Jesus and raised in the likeness of Christ are released into his service. To do great things for his kingdom. But listen, all these R's go together. I mean, you can't separate them. You can't have any without the other. You can't even have two without the other. You have to have all three. Now, I said too many get rescued and maybe raised and then they just stop. Why does this happen? And how can we prevent it? And that's what I really want to finish our time talking about because maybe some of you are in that boat. I mean, I've either met these people or I I mean, maybe you've either met the people I'm about to describe or you are one of them. I mean, I've met people that have been Christians for 20, 30 years and have never really done anything. 
fact, I've, I've met people, you know, I've talked to people in retirement homes that are Christians, and I ask them about their faith, and they have never witnessed to one person their entire life. 85, 90 years old. Well, when were you planning on getting started? Game's almost over for you. What are you going to say to Jesus when you stand before him now? I mean, we should be getting in the game at some level right away. So here's why I think it happens. I think it happens because we confuse some things. We confuse knowledge with knowing. In other words, we confuse accumulating a lot of, a lot of knowledge with knowing God. Knowing the Bible with knowing the God of the Bible. We confuse keeping rules with fostering a relationship. I don't know how those are confusing because there's nothing alike, but we get confused. And we confuse performance with serving. Do you see the subtle similarities of all those categories? They're not the same, but they, they have some things in common that apparently confuse millions of Christians. So my goal this morning is to clear up that confusion and make sure that we all start at the right path that Jesus put us on toward joyful and abundant living uh, and an intimate and close relationship with the one who rescued us, adopted us as sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters of the living king if we've been rescued, if we've been saved. And then he raises us as his own children, not as a guardian, not as a nanny, but as his own children for a mission that we can be released out and do for his glory and honor. Rescued to be part of God's family, Raised to contribute to God's family, released to help serve and help grow his family. That's how it works. And gang, I found that pattern is there over and over and over and over again from Genesis to Revelation. It just keeps repeating. So it's not hard. And maybe that's why Jesus said, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must become like a little child. Not just because they are not cynical and they have great faith, but because this is so simple. Have you ever seen something so simple goes right over your head? I mean, you're too sharp for that. So, so something presented real simple to you is, like when I say things to my kids, I do it to you guys sometimes. When I have a question I ask you and I, and I say, raise your hand if, and some of you don't do it because you know I like to trick you and make you look bad. Some of you don't. So some of us approach the Bible like that. I mean, God will give us simple truths and we'll go, what's the real meaning? What's really behind that? And Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. I wrote this at a five-year-old level so you could get it. If you try to see what's... I mean, just become like a little child. Let's get busy. Let's get out there and get in the game. Quit trying to make this hard. So there's an order to these three R's. I'm going to make it as easy as I possibly can uh, as we continue to thrive as a church. In order to get it, we need to look at the main verse that has this order in it, the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, first chapter, eighth verse. I love this verse. Basically, it says that you will be my witnesses. Who's you? Anybody that's, yeah, you, the Davidas. Uh, you have been saved. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's you. And it says, you might be my witnesses, right? It says, you have an option if you choose option A. No, it says, you will. It's automatic. If you've been saved, now you're going to all of a sudden be my witness. That might scare some of you because some of you are going, I've never really witnessed. What happened to me? I, I don't know. Only you can answer that. But Acts 1, 8 says, it's going to happen. If you're saved, bingo, right away you're going to be a witness. And here's how it starts. You will start witnessing at home. You're going to start witnessing right where you're at. And then you're going to move out beyond that. You're going to start serving God's kingdom. You're going to move out to your church. You're going to move out to the community. You're going to move out to the cities beyond the country and eventually the whole world. And that's how it works until the whole world is reached. That's it. That first gives it. Couldn't make it any simpler. You're a witness day one. 
By the way, who are the best people you think to tell people about Jesus? It ain't even close. Who do you think it is? Everyone. Pastor, I think it's the Japanese, isn't it? No, who, I don't mean it like that. Who's the best people? Nobody. No, nobody. No, no, it's somebody. Who is it? God. Well, yes, God. But uh, you know what it is? Brand new Christians. Brand new Christians. Why are they the best? They're so fired up and nobody's cynical who's, you know, sort of got a sour Christianity that's been going for 20 years who has accomplished nothing has gotten to them yet. They haven't soured them yet. So they're fired up and they've been rescued and they realize how close things were and they realize the stakes, eternally speaking, so they can't help it. They just want to go out and tell everybody. Brand new Christians are the best at this. And I think one of the reasons they're also the best, they don't know anything yet. But you know what? They know how to be a witness. You don't have to know anything other than Christ crucified and arose and you receive him as Savior. That's all you have to know to graduate to level one and start serving. Turn quickly if you would. I didn't plan on doing this, but in fact, I'll just explain it anyways. Mark 5, 1 through 20. Fascinating story to prove my point. Mark 5, 1 through 20. In fact, I got to turn there because I didn't even put it in my notes just to prove I wasn't going to do this. You got this story of Jesus going across the Sea of Galilee and when he gets to this this area um, of the Gerasenes, Jesus steps out of the boat with his disciples. Immediately he met someone there who was just a raving lunatic, a demon-possessed man. I'm going to just give you the story. He is so scary to the people of that area that they have tried to chain him up and he breaks the chains. They've tried to lock him up and he breaks out. Uh, And he's possessed, not just with a demon, but a lot of demons. In fact, Jesus stops him. Uh, people, he's been terrorizing people. He lives in the tombs. He's out there uh, naked. He, he can't, they can't keep clothes on him. They can't get near him. He can kill people. He's, they don't know what to do with him. And so he comes down and running to meet Jesus and, and falls down. This man falls down uh, on his knees before Jesus. And the demons cry out. And the first thing that Jesus says is, who are you? What is your name? Anybody know what the answer is? Anybody heard this one before? Legion. That's not a good name. Don't name your kids Legion. That's bad. You know what the message says? The name? I love how the message puts things sometimes. We are mob. We are, we're a mob. A legion is thousands. There were thousands of demons in this one guy. That's why there was so much power. That's why they would chain him up and he would just break them. And his, and his, and his bones and his cuts. and just, I mean, he's just been absolutely ransacked by the devil. And, and, and people are afraid of him. And Jesus is going to cast him out. And, and you can see the whole order of things. It's not an equal match between demons and, and God. Jesus can do whatever he wants. And demons are scared to death. In fact, they, all of them cry out in this one voice. And they say, please don't send us to the bottomless pit. Which is where the devil and his angels are going someday. And they said, please don't send us now. And they said, send us into this herd of pigs. And the long and short of it is, Jesus gives them permission to do that. And they go into the pigs, and the pigs are driven insane, and they go over a cliff, and, and this is an area where pig farming was their livelihood, so they weren't happy. They lost all of their pigs. I tell you that story because this man's life was radically changed, kind of, huh? A little bit. I mean, he'd been threatening people, living in the tombs, and, and just been a maniac for probably years, and now it says at the end of this passage, let me see if I can find it here, uh, And those, verse 16, those who had 
had seen it described to them what had happened, the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began, uh, let me see what happened here. The herdsmen fled and told it, and they came to Jesus. Oh, they saw him sitting there, verse 15, clothed and in his right mind. So they, they cast out the demon, and they got this guy washed up and clothed, and he's sitting there talking to Jesus as a normal person. They had not seen this guy like that for years. So everybody there knew now what happened to the pigs and their livelihood. They see the guy that was formerly terrorizing them, and he's calm and having a conversation. And you know what they say to Jesus? Uh, can you leave, please? They want him to leave because they, they care more about pigs than they do people. Isn't that scary? Isn't that, isn't that horrible? But you know what the guy says? How long has this guy been saved now? 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Here's what he says to Jesus. As Jesus was getting back into the boat to go somewhere else, the man who had been possessed with demons, plural, begged him that he might be with him. And that just gets me. I mean, he's saying, please let me minister with you. Please let me join the disciples. Please let me get in the game. You just changed everything. Brand new believers are the best witnesses, the most fired up people. But he did not permit him. This is Acts 1.8. Now, I want you to understand, it's not like Jesus saying, I have enough disciples. No, no. Here's what he says. He puts it back in order. He says, you just graduated, okay? I got a different thing for you. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Please tell me you see it there. That's Acts 1.8. They're not ready. Jesus had hundreds of disciples following him. He only took 12 and one of them was Judas. So only 11 count. This guy's not ready for that. I mean, that takes a lot of training, a lot of raising up, but he is ready for something, right? And he said, well, you're ready at home. You're ready for the city. Go back to your family. Go back to your synagogue. Go back to your people while you're fired up like this and change that area. And he did it. And he did it. And that's where we're supposed to start. So when people tell me all the time, well, I can't. I don't know enough. You know more than this raving lunatic, don't you? No, I'm kind of a raving lunatic too. Well, then get help. But you know at least this much, right? You can start. The miracle you just witnessed put him on a turbo track for being raised up. And now he's literally begging to be put in the game right away. It's incredible to be released for service, which Jesus grants. He just says, yes, you need to serve. Yes, you get it. Start here. Start at your home. So in case there's anybody else sitting here right now going, I don't, just don't know if I can do it. Listen, when, if you've ever seen a car wreck, God forbid that you ever would, but if you've ever seen an accident in front of you, then you need to stay around because the police are going to talk to you because you are a what? You are. You're a witness. And I've been a part of that before. And I've never had anybody come and ask me, please, sir, tell me your level of education. How much do you know about the DMV? Tell me about driving. Do you know how to drive a four-wheel drive? Can you drive a semi? Do you... No, they don't do that, right? What's your level of it? They just say, what did you see? Tell me what happened here. That's it. So at the very earliest level of release, that's all you have to do. In fact, in churches today, you know what all you have to do? I'm amazed people don't do it. All you got to do is invite your lost friends to church. Even if you're like, I don't even know how to really witness, then you can actually start at a lower level than that. Bring them with you and tell them to sit next to you and listen. And when people sing, stand up. And when they sit, sit down. It's not hard. That's all you got to do. It's a little harder at a Catholic church, but here there's just one or two times we stand up and sit down. Find an immediate entry point when you've been saved. Start getting raised up. And you can be released right away. Here at this church, you can be released into greeting right away. You don't have to be a member. You can start with set up and tear down right away. You can start 
uh, helping in children's church, setting up, tearing down. There's a little more to that for teaching. Insecurity, connections, putting out signs. There's a lot of ways to serve this startup church that you don't need to be a 20-year veteran or go to seminary for. So you start right at home where you're at. Now, here's what I want to use kind of the rest of our time for. I've got some people that are going to come up and and uh, share their hearts about this. And some of these people, you see them up front sometimes, and you don't know them that well, which is not good. I want you to know them. One of them, the first one, is Seth Enos. And um, he obviously has a fan club. Is this on right now? As someone who uses it, you may know, right? Kenny, do we need to hit that back there? Or is that already going? All right, so he's going to share Hello. five minutes of his heart with us. Hey guys, how you doing? Good? No. Okay, so three people are doing well. For all you else, I hope you're doing well. So my name is Seth, and I'm the, I'm the uh, assistant worship director here at Impact Church um, on staff, and I work with Pastor Rob and Will and Jana, um, but a huge part of what I do is I work with the youth. Are the youth in here? Yeah, there we go. Okay, so those are the guys I work with. Um, and it's really awesome. It's, it's funny because he gave me, gave me the stage. Never give a worship leader a stage. No, that's a joke. Okay, so a huge part of what I do is I work with the youth. And like a lo- the big part of the calling God has put on my life is to help people find out what they're called to do and to enable them and release them into their calling. That's a huge part of what God has already spoken into my life. And so my heart for the youth, and like if, you, if there are youth in here and you haven't come and joined us on a, on a Sunday evening, come and join us. It's an awesome time where we can press into the kingdom, where we can press into to what God has for us, and just let, him, just let him speak to us. And it's a lot of fun. We, we hang out, and it's, it's a great time. Um, but my heart, and for, and for what I do with the youth a lot, is like my heart is to find out what you're called to. Find, like, help you guys find that out and then release you into it. If you just know what you're called to do, like, what's the, what's the point of that? Like, what's the point of just knowing what you're, uh, what you're called to do if you never actually put it into practice? So a huge part of that is, like, what I do and what, what I'm starting to do with a few of the students is to release people into that, to find out what those specific aspects are, and that's a huge part of release. A lot of people look at the word release and they think, oh, release is going, going overseas and doing missions, and that's a big part of release, but there's also a huge part of release that has to do with living out, releasing others into their calling. And so, if you're one of those youth, or if your parents are interested in finding out what we do in youth, you guys should come sometime. We start at 5.30. This is my shameless plug for the youth group. Um, We start at 5.30 on Sunday nights here. So you guys should come and join us sometime. It's an awesome, awesome experience. And yeah, I think think I'm going to call it at that and hand it back over to Pastor Rob. Wow. A worship guy who stopped. 30 seconds short of his time. That's pretty good. I think because he took a little bit less time, I'm going to preach a little longer. I don't normally do that, but I was, thank you, that one person. So first of all, you start in, in your home area. Start with you. Start in your own church. Find out what your calling is. And by the way, we have ways to help. We've started with 101, which is our membership class here. We're going to be soon doing uh, 201 and probably mix that in with 301. 301 is discovering my spiritual gifts. So we have a test that you can take, and these things are actually uncanny. They're pretty accurate. 
And that'll tell you according to, there's different lists in the Bible. There's anywhere from 16 to 22, 23 spiritual gifts. And I'll help you find out what gift you have that Jesus gave you when you're saved. That's your calling. You're to use that. You're going to be more effective in your calling than you are just serving. But that doesn't mean you wait to find out what your calling is before you serve. Because anybody can jump right in and be a witness. Now, number two is make a difference in your community, in your city. Acts 2.47, the church has started, thousands have joined it. Uh, they're meeting together, they're fellowshipping, they're listening to the apostles teach more about the word of God, and they're praising God and having favor, Acts 2.47, with all the people. And the Lord, listen to this, added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they experienced the, pe- the favor of the people and the favor of the Lord. And what did that look like? He added to their number. Just other church people? No, not at all. There's no reshuffling of the deck there. A church that is blessed and is growing usually grows by new conversion. That means lost people are coming and they're getting saved. That's the healthiest way to grow. That means people that are saved are going out and meeting other people and bringing them in that are lost and they're finding Jesus. So the first place we are released is in our own homes and to our own friends, to our own schools and our own neighborhoods and workplace. Next to minister is to the communities that we live in. Now, I could have picked a ton of people to do this, but I've asked Emily Theraldson to come up and share her heart on this. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Wow. Wow, this is great. How many of you guys just encountered the Lord in worship today? Wow. Man, so good. Yeah, so my name is Emily, like Pastor Rob said, and a huge part of my heart is this vision. And I want to explain that a little bit. This is so cool to me because we're stepping into alignment with the character of the kingdom. Do you guys realize that? The character of the kingdom is to rescue, raise, release. That's why the Lord sent us here, you know? And so it's so cool because as a church, as a family, we're stepping into alignment with the will of God. So how cool is that, you guys? So I work with YWAM, and that stands for Youth with a Mission. Um, And our vision, our goal, our heart um, is to know God and to make God known in the nations. And the way that we do that, um, the founder of our mission's name is Lauren Cunningham. And he had a vision when he was 19 years old, which was... 19, I think 52, so a long time ago, Um, and the vision that the Lord gave him was these gigantic waves crashing on the shore of a beach, and it didn't stop there, but the water went into cities, into deep caves and corners, and, um, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Lauren, I want to train you to train other people to take the truth of the simple gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation, that people would know my name and I would be glorified. And so the Lord gave that man that, that picture when he was 19 years old. So from then on, um, this ministry has grown. Um, and it's an incredible thing to be a part of. And we have a base here in Monroe. And the cool thing is that, um, like I said, this is the, the culture of the kingdom. And, and the Lord has invited us into that. And so there are so many simple ways to get involved. It's not this far off thing that we have to attain or accomplish. Um, but really, the, the rescue part of it is the witness part. And it's not, uh, sometimes we can get like over, um, I guess, enthused with the whole witness thing. But it's so simple, you guys. The simple gospel. Creation, fall, redemption. Jesus came. <laughs> Jesus came, the Father came, he created everything, right? The fall of man happened. Genesis 3, 7 was when they ate the fruit and their eyes were opened. Okay, and it only took God eight verses to promise he was coming back. 
eight verses. Okay, to promise he is coming back. The promise of redemption is in Genesis 3.15. And so that's it. Creation, fall, the fall of man, and redemption. And, um, and when sharing the simple truth of who God is and what he's done um, on this planet, there's no other response but to fall on our knees in worship, right? Because it's incredible, you guys. I get so moved by what the Lord has done for us on the cross. And so sharing that with people is a natural response when we have personal relationship with him. So the next part of this vision is to raise up um, and the cool thing about YWAM that I love being a part of is that our heart is to disciple. But we don't just disciple people. We're called to make disciple makers. Because if I disciple somebody, that's great, but it stops with them. Right? But if I train them to be a disciple maker, there's a stand there. If I train them to be a disciple maker, then they get to go and disciple other people to be disciple makers. And that's why the kingdom of heaven is, is in the business of multiplication, not addition. Because I disciple disciple makers, right? And so that's the raise up part of it. And finally is the release part. And this is my heartbeat. This is why I'm alive. I love to release people like Seth into their callings, into what the Lord has asked them to do. Um, but I want to encourage you guys with this. You do not need to be a missionary to be released, okay? There are so many spheres of influence, so many spheres of society. If you are a teacher, we release you to be a teacher in the name of Jesus. And we release you to do that um, with power and authority that the Holy Spirit, that the Father has given you. And, and you have authority to go into that place and to bring the truth of the gospel there. Okay, if you work in an, in an office, we release you to your office. You don't have to be released to Kenya. You don't have to be released to Uganda, even though those are great things. You know, we don't have to wait for that to be released. We release you in the name of Jesus to do what the Lord has called you to do, to be who the Lord has called you to be in this place today. Okay, I'm a full-time missionary serving with YWAM called to America. So I live in America, I serve in America, and I love America. That's my heart. And it's easy when I'm doing the dishes for 45 people after dinner to be upset that I'm doing the dishes for 45 people after dinner. Right? But the thing is, suffer not for your labor is not in vain. That's the word of the Lord to us this morning. Suffer not for your labor is not in vain. So when I do the dishes, my, the works of my hands are not in vain because I'm a missionary sent to this land. Do you see that? So we are all missionaries. Someone once told me... Um, well, we all be belong to the kingdom of heaven, right? So we're kind of like aliens on the earth. You feel me? You get what I'm saying? So the cool thing about that is we don't belong here. We belong in, in heaven. But the Lord sent us here on a short-term missions trip. So we get to, to live, I don't know, 80 uh, to however long, whatever, 80 years, let's say. Okay, so we have 80 short years to be a short-term missionary to this planet. And to these people. So when you walk in that reality, when you walk in that mindset, okay, Lord, I don't belong to this, to this society, to this culture. I, I walk in a kingdom economy, a kingdom culture, and I'm here as a short-term missionary. When I do the dishes, I'm going to do it for the glory of the Lord because I've been released to do that. Do you hear that? It's a good word from the Lord. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so Impact has had a really cool opportunity um, to be involved with, with this ministry called YWAM. And uh, they've done service project, projects with us, and we're looking to get more involved. But really, guys, making an impact in your community is not a cliche thing. You know, it's not overrated. It's what the Lord has called us to do, and we need to do it. And that's it.
end of this end of story. That's it. Thank you. Emma. Wow, I was just going to let her go. Close it out. Some of you are going, why didn't you? Just better. Because I have just a little bit more. We have one other person we're going to hear from. Uh, When you make an impact here and you start right away, Emily said it so eloquently, you move on to your community. And actually, YWAM has already teamed up with our youth and with Seth and with Tim Rayborn. And we've already done things with YWAM and we're going to do some more. Not just here in Monroe, but maybe maybe in uh, other areas and cities nearby. But finally, because Acts uh, 1.8 says this, um, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, which is every Christian, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it's not over until everybody hears the gospel, every people group, every tongue, every race, every nation. So we do make an impact in the world. That's the third and final uh, thing. So as you've heard, if you've been here the last couple of months, we're getting ready to pick back up where I started uh, in my ministry in one nation at least about three, four years ago with Haiti. So I've asked... Carrie Fredheim to come up and and share from her heart as someone who's been and is leading our first trip as a church to Haiti. That day to wear heels. (laughs) Good morning. Going off of what Emily said. I am a lawyer. Now you might find lawyer, church, missionary completely counterintuitive. I did too. Going out and serving as a missionary, what in the world is God going to use me for? How is he going to possibly use me? Now in my job, I'm a prosecutor. I do a lot of work primarily with domestic violence. I handle the prosecution of domestic violence cases. So that's a big part of my passion, it's a a large part of my heart, is helping victims of domestic violence. That being said, we went to Haiti in 2012, and the basis for that trip was a, a women's conference. And it was a women's group who had been working on this for a year, putting this conference together, getting everybody organized, getting everybody set. Everybody was going to have their own topic to speak of. Well, I wasn't part of that women's group. And there were some men that were on the trip that weren't part of that women's group. And so we were all excited to go, and we knew God had called us to go. But we were thinking, for those of us who weren't in that group, why are we here? Like, why? God has put this desire in my heart. I've wanted to go to Haiti since January of 2010 when that earthquake hit. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a teacher. How can I help? How can I help? We got down to Haiti. And I'll tell you what, first they helped me, because when I walked in to that church that had no roof, that was just a whole bunch of boards that they use as pews that you sit upon, and they're all packed in like this, no, no room to sit. There was everybody, every bench was filled. And the looks on the faces of the people, the men, the women, and the children, all together, raising their hands, Alleluia, Alleluia, in their Haitian accents. It was amazing. You couldn't hear, you couldn't understand a word that they were singing, but you could feel God's presence there. And it was the most incredible feeling ever. You knew God's spirit was all over that place. Then we started our women's conference. And the night before the second day of the conference, because as I said, a lot of people had different topics, 
Pastor Renee's wife said, you know, do you want us to speak? Do you want somebody to speak about domestic violence? Because she had indicated that initially, but like I stated, like we weren't really going down that road. And she's like, absolutely. We want somebody to speak about domestic violence. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> I think I can speak about that. But then here's the interesting thing. How do you put that, it, like an American lawyer, putting it into a context of Haitian nation? And there were two to 300 women that were coming to this conference. And the night before, sat down in an about 45 minutes, in the most incredible way, God gave me verses. I'm like, okay, I don't know exactly where that is. Where does it say? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, look it up and find it. You know, write it all out. In 45 minutes, I had a talk all written out. God gave me exactly what to say to those women. And standing up there and taking my two passions, my love for Jesus and my love for women in, in, as victims of domestic violence and helping them through a dark, horrible situation and melding them together and being able to present that to them, I can still see their faces. I can still hear them, hallelujah, at the end of the conference. So if you're sitting there thinking, what can I do? What's my purpose? God has raised you up. You're here. And God can release you and send you out and make a huge difference in the world. Pastor Renee's wife told me that day that there were many women who came forward and wanted to speak about what was happening in their homes. Now the laws are different there, but to me that was huge because it takes a lot for a victim to come forward and talk about what's happening in their lives. But just know that no matter what you do, no matter what your occupation is, God can use you. And in incredible ways, in ways that will change your life. That moment on that, in that church with no roof, <laughs> with all those women singing, was one of the most incredible times of my life. And I hope that you would consider coming along and sharing in that as well. Thanks. Thank you, Carrie. And also, um, Carrie and, and Russ Snapper. Russ is here somewhere. Where are you at, Russ? Russ is there in Back Row Baptist back there. And uh, they have been putting together, um, there's a list of people. I think we've got about 41 people showing some interest in going to Haiti. And how we're going to do this, because we are only about 30 weeks old as a church, we don't have a big fund to start this off with. And the question arose, uh, you know, how are we going to get this going? Um, we're going to take two trips. Is, is the goal now. We're, it's looking like the first or second week of June will be the first trip. And if you can't, some people can't raise money because, I mean, this is going to be a God thing if you end up going to Haiti. It's, it's above and beyond our tithe when we go. Um, it's not, you know, sort of from the same people in this church. You, you write people outside. There's ways to raise funds. But if you feel like you cannot, or God's not calling you to go on the June trip, we're going to have another trip probably in October to give the second group. There's some people, let's just be frank, that you know, because of how God's blessed them, they can probably raise the money themselves. They probably have it, and they're going. But to give uh, the other group some time, we'll probably do another trip in October. Now, you're going to have a meeting next week, I think? 
uh, next week. Uh, we haven't got the exact time. I don't know if it's going to be because we started a class after the service, if it's going to be before or after. But we'll let you guys know uh, if you will read your impact connection that comes out in email or go to my blog. Um, but do not come back and say, you didn't do it. No, you didn't read it. So let's wrap up. We're to equip. That's what raising up it is. You got rescue, you got raise up, you got release. So raise up is, what we talked about last week, is to equip people, but not so that they learn, not so that they just have the skills, but so that they can be released to serve him. Uh, And one of the ways that we're going to do that is, I told you last week that we were going to start a class because the two foundational pillars of raise up, which you you can't add anything until you as a believer are learning how to pray. By the way, we had 41 people in the prayer room today. That grows every week. Um, And you learn to hear God's voice in scripture. So if you're not spending time on the word and you're not learning how to pray more than uh, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God, that's not really a great prayer. You need to go much deeper than that then you're not ready to serve in, in, in levels that you probably dream of. So it starts with scripture reading and, and studying, and it starts with prayer. In the prayer room, there are many stations, and there are many ways for anybody at any level to connect and learn about prayer, from a brand-new Christian to a, a seasoned veteran. But also, uh, in Bible study, we are using K. Arthur's book. It starts immediately after the service in about 15 minutes, because we're just about wrapping it up. Kenny's going to start a class with K. Arthur's book, How to Study the Bible. Uh, there's food provided. And it'll be in the cafeteria, in, in a, sort of the back area of the cafeteria, after you've had some time to mingle and with some friends and all that. It'll start, uh, you know, 1230, runs about 45 minutes. Uh, and that is also for all levels. I mean, if you've been studying the Word of God all your life, you're still going to get things. If you know anything about K. Arthur, you're going to get a lot out of that. And if you're brand new, she just has a way of introducing things. And Kenny's very good with this, too. Uh, that anybody can jump in at any level. So it's not just a book where you learn facts. It's a book where you get to know God. So come to this class. I encourage everybody to stay. And if some of you are going, well, I'm hungry. I said there's food. So stay and learn how to fall in love with him. Learn how to get to know him. Um, Honestly, gang, learn how to become self-feeders. If you come here every week and, and my teaching of scripture is all you eat, if you compare that to a physical life, you'd be dead by now. I mean, you can't eat one meal a week. You'd starve to death. And, and man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So you've got to be fed. You need to learn to be self-feeders. Um, let me just kind of skip down to the, uh, to the end of it, because I think these, these folks shared adequately today. I want to share a true story with you. You could choose to hear all this about our vision, and next week from some more people's hearts, and you could say, I'm not going to do anything with it. I have bigger plans, Pastor Rob. I think God's got bigger plans for me. Let me share a story, a true story of someone that fought that too. And I know you've all heard of him. On August 16th, 1977, Elvis Presley, at the age of 42, died of obesity and drug dependency. And in spite of his enormous success, he was, according to friends, unfulfilled and a completely unhappy man. If you know anything about Elvis, that's true. When his wife Priscilla was interviewed, she said, Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life really was. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach. Did you hear that? Elvis Presley thought he was supposed to be in ministry. And he didn't get it, and he didn't obey God in that. Maybe to serve others, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. He knew he was running from it. So he'd go on stage, and he wouldn't have to think about it. And that's why the only time he thrived was when he was singing. How tragic to go through all of your life and not know what you're here for. Or to, to know and push it away. To not understand that God has a purpose for your life, and he does. And that 
you don't have to go through life lost and uninformed and wondering. You were first rescued. Then you will be raised up and you will finally be released to serve God. Everybody is who's truly saved. Elvis felt like he was here to do something. He just couldn't figure out what it was. What a tragedy. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know what that means? God had something for you to do for his kingdom, for you to work and to serve before you were even born. What a tragedy if you never do it. He rescued you to make a difference, to do good works, rescued to serve, raised to serve. Now, whenever God gives us an assignment to do something, he always equips us first. That's what raise up is. And the next verse, um, where actually Job says, he says, your hands shaped me. They made me. First Peter 4.10 says, each of us should do whatever, we should use whatever gift that we've been given to serve others. Your talents aren't for your own benefit. They're, they're not given to you for that. They're given for the kingdom. It's not about you. He gave you gifts and talents and abilities and background and experience and all of these things to benefit others and the kingdom by serving others. Some of you may not like the way you've been raised up by God. Some of you may not like the way that God's ministered you because you've been hurt. You're like, I mean, all I seem to do is get beat up by God. He seems like he's always sanding off the rough edges and, and, and chiseling me. And, you know, why can't, why does, it, why does he have to do it that way? You know, I love to study the animal kingdom, and I promise you this is the last thing. But I want you to listen close, because I read this and I thought, isn't God like this? So just listen. Everyone, well, let me, let me, let me do this. Here's how it works in the eagle kingdom. After choosing a site, usually a high up site on, on sometimes a rocky cliff or whatever, here's how eagles build their nests been to Alaska, I've actually seen these. They're like six feet wide, six feet deep. They're humongous nests. They'll choose a site on a rocky cliff, thousands of feet above the ground. A mother eagle will construct the nest, and for protection, she'll arrange sharp sticks around the perimeter. I never knew this until I read it this week. But inside the nest is soft and comfortable for the eaglet eggs. So when Ernie Eaglet, who I just named, pops out of his shell, he finds the accommodations quite nice. Wow, what a view up here is what he'll think. And with Mama Eagle dropping breakfast, lunch, dinner, brunch, all that stuff, and an after-dinner mint into his little beak every day. I mean, it's a pretty nice setup, isn't it? He's probably not that motivated to ever move from there. But here's what happens with every eagle. Suddenly, um, and, and tell, here's what happens. When she starts feeding them, obviously little baby eagles get big and fat. Their girth increases. And when it does... The eaglet begins, Ernie eaglet, begins to bump into the sharp sticks that mama, remember I said this, purposely put in the nests. Those sharp sticks are purposely put in there. And it starts to be what was once a cozy nest, starts to hurt as he backs in there and gets fat. And it, it actually sticks him, and that's on purpose. The same goes for us. Well, what was once cozy, that group you were in, thinking about our church this week, those people you were linked to, the small group that starts the church, the group you had, uh, gets a little irritating. You may have a tendency to grumble. But you got to realize God does this intentionally because he will not allow you to be perpetually nested in a place of fatness and flightlessness. He shaped you to serve. He's got something for you to do. If you won't do it, he's going to make things a little uncomfortable. It gets worse. Look at this. 
Then, just when Ernie thinks he can't stand one more poke by these sticks, Mama Eagle actually comes in with her powerful wing, knocks him out of the nest. Isn't that cool? So he falls thousands of feet. His wings aren't fully developed, so he'll do this. But it's not going to do a thing. He just... And the mother eagle will actually dive down at super high speed and, and swoop and pick him up and put him back in the nest. And I promise you, he's freaked out. Ernie the eagle is completely freaked out. And she puts him back in there. Um, she does this intentionally. Um, knocks him out there like that, sending him tumbling. And I'm sure when he gets back the first time, he's thinking, phew, I don't know why you did that, but I'm fine now. For a couple days, what the mama eagle will do is nothing. She'll start feeding him breakfast, lunch, brunch, all that stuff, dinner again, gets cozy, and he's fine. Except he's gotten a little bit bigger, and the sticks are now poking him all the time. Uh, Then again, a few days later, bump goes the mama eagle again in the nest, and he falls out once more right when he thinks his life is over. She comes down and bears him up and brings him back to the nest. Now, she'll do this four, five, or six times. Now, Ernie's really wondering at this point. Um, Every time I get comfortable, every time I get settled back in, mama comes and turns the nest over. What kind of parent is she? I don't think he's thinking that deep because he's not that, but he's thinking. And the process is repeated, like I said, over and over again until one day when Ernie's knocked out and he flaps, he soars. You know how it goes. No, but no creature flies like an eagle. He just takes off. And as he does, he understands that the pokes and the overturned nests and the perilous plumbing were all about spurring him on to do what he was meant to do, to do what he was created to do. And so the bumps and the turbulence and the the pain and the trials and all the chiseling in your life and all the sandpaper is not because God hates you. Man, you want to see a parent that, that that looks like they hate a kid to me? Go to Beverly Hills. Go to Hollywood, where they give them everything they want. I know some of the kids are probably thinking, no, no, wait, let's talk about that. No. That parent's not a good parent. They ignore them. They don't really raise them. They don't let them go through trials. They don't get them to learn. They don't mentor them. They don't teach them anything. They just give them stuff to shut them up. You wonder why they even had kids. And then they don't grow. They're deformed. They can't adapt to society. They can't be a productive part of it. A good parent will walk through this with you. Won't always rescue you through everything, but will raise you up so that you one day will soar on your own. Well, you're not rescued and sitting here in Impact Church just to get facts each week. We're going to be a different kind of church. We hope to really release people and spread out from here and, and make this mission big. I, you know, the only thing better than rescuing five people, as far as I'm concerned, is 10. The only thing better than 10 is 20. And, but, I, but I can promise you this. I get as much of a thrill out of sharing the gospel with one person, one-on-one, and seeing them come to faith as seeing hundreds come to faith. There's nothing more beautiful. And, and honestly, there's no bigger miracle on the face of the earth and watching somebody transform from a hellbounder into a child of the living God. You can be a part of that. You can be a part of that mission. If you've been flapping or squawking or crying or complaining, like Ernie the Eagle, God says, don't forget, I found you in a wasteland. You're the apple of my eye. I've got nothing but the best in my heart for you. You're not going to crash. I'll always be there to catch you. I'm going to continue working with you because I want you to be released to soar. That's the whole thing. That's what it's about. That's what the third R is about, being released. Let's pray. God, thank you that we're even allowed to be a part of this. Father, you remind me all the time and it dawns on me again today that if you want to reach this world, you don't need us at all. 
You could do it much better, much more effectively if we just wouldn't get in the way. But how cool is it? Father, it's just the neatest thing in the world that you say, I choose you. Partner with me. Let's work together on reaching the world. Let's work together on reaching more brothers and sisters for my kingdom. What a privilege and an honor. Help us to see that, God. Adopted sons and daughters, released and raised up for a mission that is better than any mission we could have. And God, I pray that we've learned it today. Now help us embrace it and live it out at Impact Church. In Jesus' name, amen.